DM Vince sitting alongside DM Matt. Hello, everyone. DM Nick. Hey, folks. And DM Will. Hey, hey. We're back yet again this week, and uh, everyone's here, and we're going to be continuing on with our long discussion that everyone seems to be enjoying about the A series of modules, the Slaver Lord series. Not the SmackDown, even though we liked the name of that last week, but uh, (laughs) it's still a great name, but... Uh, this week we'll be talking about A4, but before we get into that, we will go into save, Sage Advice. Sage Advice. Sage Advice, we have a bunch of emails and we have a voicemail. Uh, 570-865-4210, the hotline, and rfistaff at gmail.com. And uh, we have a voicemail this week coming in. It's a little bit long, so we'll play it right now, and we'll answer it right away. Hello. Um, my name is uh, Tim Lee Master, and I have played D&D since the 70s. I'm 49 years old right now, and I started playing when I was 14. So I played, I think it was like 70, probably 74, 70, 76, I forget where. Um, and uh, I've always enjoyed uh, role-playing games. I would say that D&D is my favorite game, but I had a lot of fun with it. And I've been listening to your podcast since the very first episode. I then wasn't there at the beginning, but I went back and, and listened to all of them. And I really enjoyed your podcast. I like listening when I'm driving it. Listen to it on a CD player in my car and listen on a computer. It's a good thing to just listen to where you're doing other stuff, you know, in the background. And I really like it. And... uh that being said, you know, like the guy that sent you the letter, well, you know, some people are rude and some people are nasty and some people really need to do the life. That being said, um, along with all this praise, I do have a bone to pick with you. Actually, I'm um, actually in the challenge. Um, I have noticed uh, in, uh, in your podcast, all the way from the very beginning to the recent one, you have discussed... Pretty much every character class in Advanced Dungeons and Dragons First Edition. You've done assassins, thieves, magic users, clerics, all of them. And one of my favorite things to hear about is how you play, how people deal with character classes, what they do with character classes, how they deal with character classes in their games, and so forth and so on. But there's one class that you guys have, with all due respect, seem to have skirted or neglected or forgotten. Happens to be one of my favorite classes, and that is the Paladin. Now, I actually prefer the original first edition Paladin. I'm not a big fan of the Cavalier. I think it's overpowered, and it makes it even harder to become a Paladin if you're using the Cavalier. If you use the Paladin, it's a subclass Cavalier. So, I would rather use the one from the first edition book, the original write up, and uh, I never used the other one. And, well, and then, of course, there are people that just flat out don't like Hamas Arcana. 
but that's a different discussion altogether. I would like you, uh, all of you guys, uh, DM Will, DM Vince, all you guys, um, to please do a, a podcast on a paladin. I'd like to know how you guys handle it, uh, what good experiences you've had or bad experiences you've had. Uh, I've had some good experiences with them. My favorite characters, still talk about them to this day, is Darius, who I basically based on, um, I based the character on Andy Taylor from the Andy Griffith Show. So basically somebody that, you know, stands for the law, but is still pretty much a good old homeboy, you know, not, um, is a put on airs. I think he's better than anyone else, you know. Very laid back, but also really to stand, stand for what's right and then be strong. And really, you know, I, I like playing them. And uh, I had a lot of fun with them. And I think people who play them wrongly are the same people that play assassins. that murder an entire group for no other reason, just for playing assassin. I think people who play Paladin's lawful stupid are people who play every class badly. And I do think Paladins can be a challenge if you have a, good, a GM that just wants to screw with you and just make it tough for you and make it hard for you, make it possible for you to play a character correctly. I don't think it's that hard. I, I think it would be a lot of fun. I think it would be enjoyable to play a Paladin. And it's fun to actually play a character that has restrictions, that can't just do whatever they want. That makes it a little harder. And I actually like the first edition Paladin of all the versions of the Paladins. With exception of and Crusade Paladin, which is also pretty good, I like the restrictions. I like the I like the fact that they can't use a lot of magic. I like the fact that they you know, can only hand, handle, only ha- hang around good people and lawful good retainers and stuff. I like that. I don't think it's a problem. I like the challenge. I like to try something that's hard. It's, it's more fun to try something that's a little harder to play than something that's easy to play. So that being said, I do love your podcast. I'll continue to listen to it. I'm listening to the recent one right now. And, uh, but I would really, I think it would be great to do a Paladin show. And I also think, um, I think it'd be great if you had maybe, well, you know, I, I think it'd be great to just keep doing what you're doing and don't worry about people with bad attitudes that, you know, have nothing better to do than write national letters to people. Okay? Thank you, and uh, this is uh, Dungeon Master Timothy signing off. Thank you. Well, thank you for the voicemail. Uh, so who wants to handle it? Well, Will, Will seems like I can start. He wants to talk this week. Will, go ahead. No, I ain't going to talk that much and everything. Uh, now, of course, this is the voicemail concerning the paladins and the cavaliers and all that other good stuff, right? Yeah. Of course. Yeah, paladins. Okay. Specifically paladins. Well, l- let me start with this here. You know, um, paladins and cavaliers, as far as the unearthed arcane are concerned, I don't think that cavaliers are overpowered. I, I really do not think they're overpowered. I, uh, yeah, yeah, they do have some uh, restrictions and they do have some guidelines to follow them on, especially when it comes to charging the most powerful enemy. Uh, I think that people have to really look at that very carefully because, I mean, uh, uh, Cavaliers are not stupid. I mean, they're, they're highly intelligent. Uh, well, then again, it depends on the player who's playing them. If you're going to read them verbatim, I'm not going to read what it says in the Honor Arcana. But I do not think that a Cavalier is simply going to charge a foe, the biggest, baddest foe, 
on a battlefield surrounded by multitudes of enemies. I think he's going to, you know, use some type of uh, tactics to get to that foe, but will not put himself at risk to the point where he gets, uh, you know, over overrun by the enemies. Yeah. And since I'm on that subject and everything, if I'm correct now, our, our uh, Cavaliers are, are, are a subclass of the Paladin, if I'm correct. Correct. Or is it vice versa? Uh, yeah. yeah, the P- Cavalier is the subclass of Paladin. I That's it was what it's the is, other way yeah. around. Yeah, I can't remember right now. I didn't have the book in front of me, but I Cav- will say it's, this it's though: a subclass of the Cavalier. Okay. Now, with that being said, are the Paladins now? Um, are they privy to the same thing as Cavaliers, where they get to roll the percentile dice each time they level up on their specific stats? I don't know because I don't use the Unearthed Arcana. Sorry. Yeah, I don't have the Unearthed Arcana. You all know what I'm talking about, right? Right, right. I know what you're talking about. I believe they are. And if they are, I, I see it all being the same and everything. And understand also that Paladins also are are under the same, you know, restrictions and guidelines too because, they, I mean, it, it gets stricter on them too as well. So as being as overpowered, I don't see them being overpowered. I think one thing that really people don't focus on is the fact that Cavaliers are strong on a horseback. A good portion of the time, if you're inside dungeons and so on, or other types of uh, hostile terrain where horses can't go, they lose a very important ability. So, I mean, it, 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 it goes both ways. Now, he did bring, bring up some things here. This is DM Timothy, as a matter of fact. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I understand where he says that Players make it hard by playing paladins or cavaliers, whatever the case may be, because of the lawful good thing. And I think we spoke about this stuff in the past and everything. DMs also make it hard on players who play paladins. I, I think it goes both ways and everything, more so from DMs than it is from the player side. Uh, we all hear the term lawful stupid or whatever they want to call it and everything. Right. It is what it is, you know, I mean. You're just going to have to, you know, have some balance and focus in there. And remember the reason why you're playing that particular character. That's the whole thing. I'm just talking about paladins. I mean, I think that we discussed that we're going to do a show on paladins or something real soon. Yeah, we're going to do a show on paladins. And uh, I there's a lot of good stuff that um, in previous articles of Dragon Magazine that we could draw upon that uh, we can use in our discussion uh, whenever we do that. But I think that would be a, that would be a good show. Yeah. 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 With DMs making it hard on paladins, it depends on what type of DM are you? Are you a confrontational DM? Who's actually in a way playing against the players or are you the DM who's co- being cooperative and telling a group story? Cause typically DMs fall into either one of those camps and, yeah, if you have that confrontational DM, they're going to make it hard, but they're going to make everything hard for everyone because they're trying to win D&D. Hmm. Much like when you get the player that are trying to min-max and exploit rules because they're trying to win D&D. When you have either type of those players, they're going That's to funny. make it difficult on each other. I kind of find myself somewhere in between there. I think a <laughs> lot of people are, like, have bits and pieces of both. They don't intentionally try to break the th- the game but they will try to get the most bang for their buck yeah I, I well as far as a dm i try to make a balance between the two but when it comes to when we're talking about paladins here though i mean heck i i talked about this once before but the first ever convention i went to was in an ad tournament they had all those character sheets face down on the table what character did i get a paladin <laughs> so, and you know what? It, it was probably that 
that first tournament I was in, that was one of the most satisfying gaming experiences I've ever had. It was fun because it was a challenge. You know, I mean, I, you know, when DM Timothy said in that, in that voicemail about, you know, he likes the restrictions and I think what he said, um, or at least what I got out of it, it was, it kind of gets the player out of a comfort zone because it's not something easy to do. It poses a challenge as a player to play this particular class that has certain restrictions and you should, and that what makes that character class, particularly the paladin, what he is. It, I mean, right. And mechanically speaking, that also balances out the class when compared to other characters. Mm-hmm. If, if they didn't have those role-playing restrictions, they would be overpowered. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, now, I will, let me add this. I want to clarify what I was talking about at first since we brought up the subject on the overpowering thing. And, I, you know, it's been a while since I've been in the UA and everything. It states specifically that the powers, abilities, and level of advancement of the Paladin uh, remain unchanged. However, they, the Paladin now gains the abilities and powers of the Cavalier class, including weapons of choice, parrying ability, yeah. horsemanship, saving throw bonuses, and immunity to fear. Yeah. So that's on top of what they already have. So right. if you really want to know the truth, the Paladin sounds a little bit more overpowered now. Yeah, also, because yeah, well, because one more they thing. did. Yeah, they the did. Paladin, oh, sorry. Let me add one more thing there before you say mm-hmm. something. The Paladin also increases his uh, her charisma score in the same way that a cavalier, you know, uh, increases strength, dexterity, and constitution. And neither of them get bonuses for exceptional ability scores. Yeah, and that's why I was going to say that's why they made the Paladin a subclass of yep. the cavalier. Because it's even more difficult to be a paladin than it is a cavalier, because you have all those special abilities as a cavalier on top of being all those special abilities and restrictions as a paladin. So, right. but I, I don't know. I mean, we could talk about more of this if when we do a show on the paladin, how that all works. Sounds good. I can't believe we actually skipped it. Yeah, I thought we covered it, but I guess we didn't. Eh, good yeah. catch there, T- DM Timothy. <laughs> so we won't do a show on it, and because uh, <laughs> we don't take requests, uh, and uh, you know, oh, we're right. old, and uh, we don't know how to pronounce anything. So, right, that's how it works. Uh, so, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, guys. Uh, voicemail. Thank you very much, and uh, let's head over to the emails this week. Uh, Will you said you want to take the first email? Oh, yeah, I'll take the first one. Let me get to it again. Okay. Hi, guys. Overlord Brinjar. I hope I said that right. Also known as Doc Mindwipe on the boards here. Greetings from the mythical lands of sunny Manchester. Where is that? Is that in England? Yep. Yeah. Must be. He's being Seth funny here. because it's never sunny in England. Oh, I have no clue. <laughs> but here he goes. He goes, first up, I would like to congratulate you guys on creating a podcast that I was actually interested in. I heard a lot about podcasts in the past, but never found a subject interesting enough for me to start to want to check them out. So in 2011, I heard about RFI and I finally jumped on the bandwagon of podcasts. There's obviously a lot of them out there, but so far I tried many, but I always stopped listening to the others and come back to the WGP family. What's WGP? Wild Games Productions. Okay. 
DMs, Will, Matt, Nick, and Vince, you are the fantastic four as far as I'm concerned when it comes to podcasts. Oh. Your sister shows, haha, the other shows are sisters. Your sister shows are super as well, and the combined awesomeness of the three old school D&D podcasts plus the actual play and the critical wits make it an unsurpassed combination of power. Right. I'll stop now before you start thinking too highly of yourselves. That's too late, my friend. <laughs> Any roads? I think it goes on. Is that, is that yeah. more of that email? Yeah. 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 Goes on. Some way back when NPC Jason was a regular host on the show, he called him an NPC. I seem to remember something about him, NPC Jason, that is, looking up all potential situations and then read the rules for each and every situation the PC may come along. DM Vince, on their hand, just let it flow the way it feels natural for him. I like that way better. I personally do sometimes in between do something in between, although in the reverse order. If a situation comes up, I make a ruling right there and then, as I don't want to let the players wait for however many moments for me to look up the correct rules in the correct book. And you know how that can be. You think that you remember a rule from WSG, but instead the rule was covered in UA or OA. And thus, as you flick through the WSG, which is the Wilderness Survival Guide, and can't find it, you start to panic a little as you can't find it and start looking through all the books and so on and so forth. So, as I said, I make a ruling right there and then and keep it consistent for that session. Then, between sessions, I look up the actual rule and then explain the exact rule as opposed to my ruling at the next game session. All in the interest of keeping the players engaged and hopefully feel that they're the ones that are actually important. And as as a closing, I wish for you all to have clear heads, warm hearts, nimble hands, and good health. Oops, that was the 4-H promise. What does that mean? Oh, 4-H's? Well, come on, man. Where are you today? Yeah. (laughs) Cheers and keep the good work. Overlord, Brinjar, Doc Mindwipe. That's it. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, make a ruling consistent. If you're going to make a rule on the fly, keep it consistent throughout the whole entire game. I wouldn't bother looking it up because I don't really care. But if you really do care that much, fine. But I would keep it consistent throughout the whole campaign. Don't change rules in the middle of a campaign. That annoys people. Excellent. Yes. It can annoy people. Yes. It will yeah. annoy people. I can't stand if you like if the DM goes, all right, yeah, it's cool, let's do this, and then we play the whole adventure that way. Then the next adventure you come in, oh, by the way, you can't do that anymore. I was wrong. The book says, screw that. I'm sorry, I'm not like that. <laughs> no. Well, I kind of, I kind of do what this guy does. I mean, if there was something I didn't know, I would make a ruling on the fly there, and and I'm good with it. But if there's something in the books later on, I'll say, hey, you know what, guys, um, instead of doing it. What we did before, you know, there's a we could do it this way. It's up to you guys. What do you think? I, I guess that's what I would do, but um, I don't know. I, yeah. I I don't know if I've really ever gotten into a situation like that because I know I think I know the rules fairly well where to look for, up them up if I needed to, but uh, um, there's some things obviously not covered in the rules, and if you just you know, like doing some sort of checks, like an ability or skill check. Right. I mean, just be consistent with something like that. That's that's cool. Yeah. I usually do what uh, Doc Mindwipe does, and yeah. I will look up the rule after the fact just for my own personal knowledge. And if it seems like a better way of doing it, then we'll start using it. And I'll tell yeah. my players, hey, I found a better way of doing this, and then we'll use it. Or sometimes a may even know where the ruling is found, but in quickly skimming the rule, not be able to, like, process it and do it correctly, like overbearing. Like, I know we covered it on a show once, but it was a long time ago, and I didn't quite remember how the gra- 
Ling rules worked off the top of my head, especially when you had to consider all the different modifiers. So I just kind of fudged something that kind of resembled that and then hope my players don't notice. <laughs> so, okay. at, at which point they didn't because they were even more confused by it because at least I had some resemblance of how grappling worked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but yeah, it's just do whatever feels right in what you're, and if you're having fun, go. That's what's important. Don't get bogged down on being by the book at the expense of enjoying yourself. Right. Word. Who's got the next email? Oh, I guess I'll read it. Oh, all right. Thanks. Oh, okay. All right. Um, I'll go ahead and start this. Uh, hello, everyone. As I stated before, I am new to your podcast and think this is one of the greatest things since sliced bread. Okay. Yeah. Cool. I have been listening for a couple of weeks now. I, current, I am currently listening to issue 35 about the illusionist. So I have a couple of questions. If these have been addressed before, forgive me. One, I cannot seem to get the enhanced version of the podcast through iTunes. I listen through the newest versions of iTunes or via download on my iPhone 4S though the pi- through the podcast app. I just wonder if you have ran into this problem. Some of the issues were in enhanced format. Now it seems that they're not anymore. Do you know anything about that, Matt? Uh, yeah, we, I went back and just checked some of the, uh, shows and the chaptering was working in those. Um, I, I don't actually own any Apple products, so I can't really test it on, on my own, like the actual hardware portions. Um, but I know in iTunes, the chaptering was working for me. Um, Mm -hmm. perhaps, but I'm also on a PC. So right. I think it may have been something with a recent update that might have broke it because when I do my chaptering, I'm using a bunch of different stuff just to do it because chaptering on the PC is kind of a pain in the butt, <laughs> to be perfectly honest. <laughs> it, it's very much like, yeah, it works, but it's really an abomination. Yeah, chaptering something that you were saying that hasn't really caught on that much. No, um... Every podcast I listen to does not have a chapter day AC version. Sounds like your adoring fans are back there, Matt. Yeah, I know. What was that? I have no what idea. Today? <laughs> what the heck was that? Yeah, really. I have no idea. That was that was not on my end because I heard it in my headphones. Wasn't on my end either. Nick, was did someone have like an old? Mego uh, Godzilla toy they pressed. <laughs> that, <me. laughs> that was. Was that you, Will? No. Then it has to be Nick. I had nothing on my end. Nick, he's being very quiet. It was me. I, I just had Skype. Oh, well, maybe it was Nick's Skype. What? I'm on. Oh, your Skype broke up there for a second. So maybe that we, we was some weird Skype glitch. So we're getting what do we get? That was odd. Do we get a Skype call between Godzilla and Gameron or something? Like that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, quite possibly. That's funny. <laughs> I'll be right over. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Other question two. All right, question two. What is the official site for forums or RFI podcast? Is it Dragon's Foot or OSR Gaming? It's OSR Gaming. <laughs> I I guess what I'm asking for is which 
What is preferred method of posting? Yeah, our our official uh, forums is OSR Gaming. Yeah, so. you, yeah, you're back in the time period before OSR Gaming existed, so that's yeah. why you'll find the references to Dragon's Foot. But once OSR Gaming came to life, that's where our uh, official forums moved to. You can find us at d20radio.com, but we answer a lot quicker at OSR Gaming. Yeah. And third, finally, I'd love to play on a Skype game with you guys. I would like to know if there's any room available and or are any of you guys starting up a new campaign that has room for an old school gamer like me. Thanks for your time, DM Angelo. <clears throat> I don't have any games going on Skype right now. I think, no. Nick, you? Um, I don't have any games. Well, I do have one game going on, and we have one person Skyping in. So well, you have a good friend, isn't he? Your, um, yes. Isn't he a friend of you? Yeah, I thought so. Yeah, he's out in Indiana, Dwarf. His name is Dwarf? Well, that's his nickname. Oh. We call him Dwarf. Oh, okay. Because he looks like a dwarf. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, unfortunately, we don't have any games going on, but if you do go to the forums, there are some people running some play-by-post adventures, which is the next best thing you could possibly get. Right. So you find a face-to-face game. Best advice I could tell you is start a post and say you'll DM. Yeah. Yeah. DM a few sessions and then say, hey, guys, anyone want to take a shot at DMing so I can play? And maybe someone will step up. Right. Yeah, just get on our forums and post you're looking for a Skype game. You never know who might say, hey, we got a spot in ours, or... Hey, let's start something new up. I think there was a Skype game on Monday nights, but I'm not positive if it's still going on. I think Drama Man was hosting it, but I could be wrong. Yeah, I think so, because I think there was even a few actual plays that were put out, recordings for that. Um, Yeah. Yeah, We do another one sometime soon. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've never actually gamed over Skype. No? No. Yeah. I thought you were in Jason's podcast. Uh, no, I just did the post production. So, oh. I, so, but I actually wasn't in on it. Lucky you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, there you go. And uh, if you want to send an email in rfistaff at gmail.com. Uh, actually, we do have one more question. It comes from the forum. Oh. It comes from Iron Beaver. And <laughs> I'm not touching that one. I, I didn't ask you. Uh, <laughs> P.S. One other thing. Since you guys mentioned Orcus, I guess, in the first uh, podcast, uh, Slaver Series 1, he wants to know, do you use goat-faced Orcus or demon-faced Orcus? <laughs> Here we go. Oh, boy. Or- this, this one's been taking its rounds around the uh, interwebs for a while, hasn't it? <laughs> or do you use Orcus with pig faces? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> so we'll start with Will. Will, which, which Orcus do you use? Uh, my orca is going to have a pig face. What? Your orca has a pig face? Well, it, yeah. Orcs have pig faces, so orcas has a pig face. But he's not an orc. Yeah. Orcus well, he's a demon, but, I mean, he does have, like, a piggish face. Don't well, he? he could take any form he wants. But if, he wants to come, he, if he wants to come in form of William Holden, he can show up as William Holden. What about Christopher Walken? <laughs> well, you know, he could show up and look like Christopher Walken, maybe talk like him. That'd be like nuts. I'm Orcus. Film my wand. Is it the uh, Christopher Walken? Isn't the original Orcus uh, a goat face picture? Yeah, it is in yeah, the Monster Manual. 
Yeah. It is. I would go with the goat face myself. Yeah, I would go with the Daniel Bryan face, Dorcas. Bryan. <laughs> no. So four people say uh, no pig face, and I'm cool with that. Yeah. I remember, well, it was, I think it was a couple of years ago, there was a really cool promo poster for Labyrinth Lord, and it had the whole, like, there was like a veteran party take on Orcus there, and it was like the big, fat Orcus with the goat head and the cloven hooves. I'm like, I should have got that poster. It was really cool looking. Beautiful black and white. It was just fantastic. Well, you probably yeah. will buy it if you go on Amazon. Yeah, I'm going to see if I can find it again. It's a, yeah, it's a really cool poster. <laughs> and I have a request for you, Nick. If, can you do the Dewey Cox voice? Dewey Who? Cox? It's from the movie Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story. Uh, John C. Riley played him. Never seen it. Oh, all right. Sorry, I'll have to see it. Okay. okay. Hey, I did have to mention one thing, though, real quick, like. No. I also saw in the forums that someone was wondering... They they was they was inquiring into uh, the Middle Earth role playing system. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. They was inquiring into is whether or not that I have I uh, used any of that material, which uh, I have used it extensively. I played uh, Merp for about eight years, and that. have I ever uh, converted some of that stuff over to first edition AD and D stats? Yes, I did. I did use some of the uh, creatures in there, uh, some of the bad guys. And some of the classes I did convert over the first edition AD&D. But that's about as far as I got. I did not want to convert Middle-Earth completely into a first AD&D setting. It, that's just, it's just too extensive. So since you have a lot of experience on this, so what is Gandalf anyway? What level is he? Gandalf? <laughs> yeah. Well, depending on which uh, printing uh, that you got him at, he's way up there. I, if, see, I have to pull out the main book. I want to say he's 60th level. Okay. <laughs> So he can kick kick Elminster's butt. Well, I I guess you could think of that. I mean, both of them uh, have some, you know, some, you know, serious analogies going on there. They're very analogous to one another. I mean, Gandalf is thousands of years old. Well, Gandalf's one of the, like, yeah, the the Maiar. He's one yeah, of the both of them have some type of deity, deity blood in them or whatever. Mm-hmm. They they come from that background. So, I mean, it's just interesting how how, the, how they are and everything. I don't remember how old Elminster was completely. I just can't think of when he was born and how long he's lived. But I know Gandalf is much older. But, I mean, I mean, we could talk about that in another show someday when people ask questions about that. But, uh, yeah, who would win in a fight, Gandalf or Elminster? <laughs> Geek fight. Well, no. I, I'll be honest with you. When you look at the Witch King of Angmar for for Middle Earth role playing, that bad boy is one tough guy. I, I thought he, he's just horrendous. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, but, he is a Witch King. <laughs> yes, but uh, you know, good setting, good game. But I'd have used some of the material for AD and D. Yep, I certainly and have. Thank you for asking. There's a question here also on the forums. Why is uh, I'm gonna have to rephrase it because it's worded really bad, but. What is wildly unbalanced about clerics with bladed weapons? Oh, here oh we no. go <laughs> I heard on one of the podcasts about the classic ar- argument of clerics not being able to use bladed weapons. Someone said it was unbalanced or something. No. How so? If a short sword does the same damage as a quarter staff, how is the manner of how the wound is delivered unbalanced? A D8 bladed weapon will do the same damage as a D8 bludgeoning weapon, correct? No, not necessarily. So how is it unbalanced at all? Uh, it's the argument is not necessarily do with the the type of weapon used, but in regards to clerics, are they allowed to use them? 
in this debate we had a while back and you know we've we've you know we've we've agreed that we disagree so <laughs> so yeah it's not a matter of what type of weapon is used as far as if it's you know it, it's the matter of the restriction if it pertains to the you know the cleric's class i mean like i said i play clerics Depending on what deity they live, they might have a preferred weapon for that deity. And if they and your cleric, uh, it, at least in my campaign world, is allowed to use it. So you know, if your your particular deity is his preferred weapon is a battle axe, then your then your cleric can use a da- battle axe. So now, do the clerics have pig faces or? <laughs> <laughs> No, they don't have pig faces. <laughs> no, I stick by the book rule. It says that clerics, single-class clerics, cannot use edge weapons, and that's the way it is. I don't care what deity they worship. Okay. That's first edition. I stick by the rules. Even if they are multi-class, they still can only use blunt weapons. Yeah, yeah I go by the rules, too. Blunt weapons for my clerics. So there you have it. There you have. We all it. have our different opinion, different opinions. No, we only have one different opinion. We have one anomaly among four. <laughs> okay, <laughs> and I'm very happy with it, and it's worked pretty good so far. This will be Nick's last podcast. No, <laughs> all fine. <laughs> Speaking I'm going ham. Okay, Cartman. We will be happy about one thing in my in my one e game. I've uh, switched to an assassin character class, and his. We had to pick a god of uh, alignment or worship, so I picked Cthulhu. <laughs> That's my god. It works for me. Oh my goodness! Yes. Or you could put a real kink in it and be uh, worship Haster. <laughs> yeah, the DM was all. Because all you have to do to summon your your god is say Haster three times fast. <laughs> yeah, the DM was all worried. He's like, "Don't say the name of the old ones because I'm gonna have to roll and kill you." I'm like, "Yeah, I'm gonna be doing that every adventure now." <laughs> Anyway, so uh, I guess that's enough sage advice for this week. Let's head into the uh, bulk of the show and talk about that. A4. Into the dungeon of the slave lords. Typical of all the evil creatures in the world. I like to find one with table manners. What are you kidding me? I spent years cultivating the worst table manners on the planet. Table manners. All right, folks. We're going to be talking about the final module in the Slave Lords series, Module A4, In the Dungeons of the Slave Lords, by Lauren Schick. An adventure for characters level four is the seven. Great huh. intro, huh? Yeah. Um, anyway, so this takes up basically right at the at the end of Module A3, where it's like, if you've been listening... The character, the player characters, no matter what, are going to get captured. So this, like, it ends that adventure on a cliffhanger, which is kind of cool. So what happens in this one is the player characters, they find themselves, uh, if I remember correctly, they find themselves in uh, some caves and and sent, basically sent to die, <laughs> In in these caves, the dungeons of the slave lords, but but they are not without some help. I mean, now, granted, all they got on is basically their skivvies. It's all they have. But in the area they're at, 
somebody somebody uh, sends them a little bit of aid. Uh, they send down um, uh, someone had sent down a uh, like a couple of scrolls or a few scrolls for them to use. Basically, someone who's working against the slave lords, and they they give you something that to help you out. Uh, I thought it was interesting at the start where, you know, since magic users don't have their spell, spell books, they can't remember any spells. But clerics, all they have to do is, you know, you know pray for their spells, uh, for their spell list. Well, in the uh, started adventure, they <laughs> they actually took care of this part. And the, the paragraph says clerics have received special treatment. The jailers, knowing that clerics can regain their spells by prayer, after sufficient rest, have not allowed the clerics to sleep more than three hours in succession and have given them even smaller rations of food and water than other characters have received. Um, but they do still have a few spells. They, your characters can get cure light wounds, purify food and drink, resist cold, and create water. But other than that, those are those are only spells you can get. Um so that's how it kind of starts off. You're in this one uh, one uh, area, basically right in the center of the Dungeon of the Slave Lords when you look at the map. And you can, you've got four exits that you can go to. And you have these scrolls that were given to you. And you notice as when you're there, because you're on this island in the center of a crater on, a, on the volcano, mm-hmm. things start things start to rumble things start to move so not only are you unarmed unarmored and without any other provisions over time if you don't get through the dungeons and escape this island where the uh, village or the city of sunderham is on the the volcano is going to explode and it's going to sink the island so yes there is a bit of a time constraint here as well so not only do you have to find a way to get out of the dungeons but you need to get off the island before it blows up <laughs> so it's kind of a double whammy and you know what i think it's kind of cool you know again i'm i'm all about taking the the players out of their comfort zone and putting them in situations where they got, you know, the players have to use whatever characters' abilities they have, use their wits and a little bit of luck to get through things. So, you know, the 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 spells on the scrolls are really not that bad as if you can be, I guess, creative with them. You got audible glamour, dancing lights, wall of fog, invisibility, spider climb, feign death, dig. And uh, let's see, affect normal fires, light, jump, and read magic. So, and yeah, they got their, depending on which way they go, um, they might encounter a an, an ancient feeble will-o'-wisp. When I first read that, I'm like, they got nothing on, they got no weapons, and they encounter a will-o'-wisp, which is like armor class negative eight. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like... <laughs> But it's a feeble one. So yeah, right. so it's not like really going to attack the party. It's actually going to run away from them, which is kind of weird. It will it'll lead them to another area where there's a um, a new creature. At least for this module, was the sandling. So you might run into a sandling. Um, there's also a lost treasure trove um, that you might find. Maybe hopefully some useful things that you can make. 
like some bone clubs that you can make, uh, maybe some daggers out of some wood. So at least you'll you'll have something of use to you. See, this is where <laughs> I'm reading to this. I'm like, man, this is where you would want to play a monk. Yeah. <laughs> this is the one adventure where the monk would would totally shine. <laughs> he would be the he would be the savior of the party because like huh, weapons, pff, armor, don't need that crap. Yeah, yeah. On my hands. And there's a reason why none of the player uh, NPCs generated for this module were yeah, monks. Are, are monks. That's yeah, true. I noticed none of the tournament characters are monks at all. Yeah. Not at all. Because that would probably break the adventure. So you have that. There's also a kingdom of the kobolds that you might run into. Yeah. There's like some. Uh, <laughs> if kobolds aren't degenerate enough, but a more degenerate. Uh, a tribe of kobolds in the dungeons here right. that have been kind of forgotten by the slave lords, so they've kind of cut out their own little niche inside the uh, the dungeons for themselves. Yeah. You can even um, go visit the baby kobolds in the nursery. Yeah, you can visit baby kobolds, and there's um, there's also um, I thought was some other interesting things. There's the there's giant ants. And one of the cool thing about the giant ants is that there's a uh, section where if you traverse it, uh, the giant ants have made like a bridge of like, I guess, the husks of dead giant ants. Yep. And you have to be careful walking across it. It's a little bit of a – it's very uh, fragile, but um, – Apparently, if you you can unlock the jaws from where they are at, and you can fold this thing up right. and bring yeah. it with you. Yeah, you, they you actually have the ability to have a portable bridge. Yeah, so that might come in handy. There's also a lair of a giant crab. Uh, oh yeah, I meant to say about the nursery, Nick. There was a lot of uh, complaints about that back in the time of when this module was out. Oh, about going in the nursery and maybe killing the the cobalt yeah. babies. A lot of people were really annoyed at the fact that TSR had put that in there. <laughs> huh? I didn't know that. They they didn't yeah. like the player characters going all Anakin Skywalker and the Jedi uh, Academy killing all the kids. Yeah, well, yeah, cobalts. it was kind of like a moral dilemma thing for players, and right. they have, didn't think it should be in there. They shouldn't have to deal with something like that. Huh? Oh. I I was not aware of that. Yeah. Huh. That's interesting. Yeah. FYI for you. Yeah. Huh. So one of the real, the key feature probably of the whole dungeons of the Slave Lords is where you run into the uh, Mykonids. Mm-hmm. And, and that whole section of the dungeon where it's basically take, I, and I think I'm, yeah, Mykonids. They're the, the mushroom people, the fungus men. And they are again a new monster that were introduced into this into this module, and they're interesting. Are, are we doing the creature feature on that this week? We already did a creature feature on the Mykonids. We did. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's right. We did. Oh my gosh, that's right. I yeah. almost forgot about that. That was a while ago. Yeah, they actually made their way into Monster Manual too. Yes. Yes. So, and um, Sandlings will be the one thing we'll talk about. Yeah, okay, okay. I couldn't remember. But uh, thank you for reminding me of that. I thought we covered them. I wasn't sure, but... Uh, they the don't Mykonid- exist. They, basically, you're on an acid trip, and that's how they were actually there. Yeah, yeah, they get around, and they sit around, and they're, 
their circle and they let their spores loose and like next thing you know you're you're hearing like you know Jerry Garcia play guitar and yeah. or you're hearing Iron Butterflies in Agata Davida <laughs> and then Orcus with a pig face shows up and yeah, Orcus with a pig face shows up <laughs> yep. somebody has to show up and like you know talk you down so it's like it's okay man it's okay mellow mellow <laughs> so yeah so, okay so the mushroom garden yeah so you know you go through this the, the mushroom garden um I thought the cool part where you get into the section where it is all the micadids is the welcoming committee where you have two shriekers, a rotting zombie-like cobalt, two giant worker ants have been taken over by a mole, a fire beetle and a human corpse. So all these things are like covered with spores, molds and fungus and whatnot. They're all like crawling towards you. That looks like <laughs> a bad acid trip picture. Yeah. yeah. I, well, you know, that's Errol Otis for you. It's a great picture of that, and, you know, I dig it. I mean, <laughs> you see those things coming at you. Yeah, that would freak me out, too. So <laughs> hopefully I, I the real key part of this section is um, I guess the Mykonids have a problem with, uh, I believe, a badger, huh. a giant badger that is giving them some trouble. Now, if you agree to, like, take out this uh, – giant badger or if you already did and you've proven that you have destroyed this giant badger or gotten rid of it the mike and it's will they'll let you go through their area they might aid you in a little bit um might give you some food maybe some things that could be used as weapons i guess you could throw that in there as well um so that's basically this it's a role-playing uh uh uh, section opportunity, yes, for the player characters. Instead of using their fists, they're going to use their brains and their diplomatic skills if they have any to get through this. Brain. And basically become one of the tribe. You know, you sit down and you just kind of like get, get all freaky with them. So there's <laughs> yeah. also a half grown roper if you go to the roper's lair. Aww, so, Mr. Roper. Mr. Roper. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, and there's there are several exits through here. There's a there's a chimney exit. There's another exit through water that you might be able to get through. But after you get through all of that, hopefully you make nice with the Mykonids. And they're all happy with you. There's one section though that that I looked at is a potential TPK area is the cave of the bats with the cave fishers. And I like this uh, section, how it is drawn out and how it um, – there's a, a side view of this cave and how you go in this uh, cave of the bats and they call it the bat cave. But there's no Batman there. And But there's a couple of uh, – there's a, three cave fishers on a ledge and it shows where the cave fishers shoots out their lines. And you have to get across this chasm or the cave fishers might – um, what is that? I don't know. Who's eating a snack? Not me. Will? Oops. <laughs> <laughs> Who's eating a Snickers? <laughs> I'm sorry. I must accidentally knocked off the uh, mute button. My bus. Okay. But um, <laughs> anyway, that's cool. Did you bring a left share with everybody? Not those cave fishers. They were trying to eat something. 
yeah, there you go. So you're making like, oh, sound effects. Got it. Good. So, yeah, this section with the cave fishers can be very, very treacherous. Not only do you have to somehow get across the chasm, maybe you have that rope bridge with the ants, maybe that, that bridge of ants, dead mm -hmm. animal husk thing. You might have that. But you also have to get across so those three cave fishers don't, like, snag you up and uh, make a nice little meat snack of you. <laughs> and through all this, again, the rumblings of the volcano are becoming more intense and more frequent. So time is of the essence. Yeah, there is one point in the module when you try to rest and the DM has the explicit instructions to say, yeah, you're resting. Yeah. yeah, you're resting. Come on. Yeah, you're resting. Kind of like yeah. give the players a hint of there's no real resting time. Yeah, basically you're you're just trying to the only real respite you might have is if you run into the Mycodids and if you play that correctly. That might be the only place where you kind of get a little bit of a pause if, if you get my drift. But other than that, it's a lot of it's really on the go. Um so you got the there's a water cave that you might be able to exit from the dungeon. There's a there's a there's a cave with some spiders, and the bat cave. So, and no, you won't run into Batman. Huh. So, no Batman. He's out fighting the Joker. Yeah. So, then you got to go to the island, and this it kind of uh, once you do get out of the the dungeons, you go into the the island proper. Right. And uh, there's various areas where you might run into certain things. It's not – it's a little more open-ended at this point. Yeah, because once you escape the labyrinth, the yeah. tournament module is over. Pretty e much. Everything – yeah. Uh, everything past the point of you escaping past the cave fissures is just added for home play. Right, right. Yeah, once you get – yeah, those either the the cave fissure, the spider cave, or the water cave. Everything after that is really just kind of like, you know, that's all on you. Um, there's a, <laughs> I love even they even have a green slime area. <laughs> I also like the giant goats. I, whoever thought of using giant goats in an adventure like that, they might, uh, and they're nasty too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you have nothing but a club and no armor and you're facing down four giant goats and their damage to attack is two to 16 right. ow there's also a very um irate and unhappy uh giant snapping turtle that you might run into a very a rampaging fire lizard it's basically the whole place is is going to hell because of the eruptions and the local, all the creatures that are around are, are very disturbed by this. And that's why you had this rampaging fire lizard. Ultimately what you need to do in this adventure is you need to get either in and around Sunderham again from the dungeon and get to the docks. Now there's, there's several things that you can do. Uh, you can try to commandeer a vessel of your own, which would be more or less successful. You will have some problems, though. It does say in the module there there might be some issues with, you know, because there is there's tremors and so on. This lake is unstable. 
and it's gonna there's gonna be uh, random swells of waves, so it could capsize your ve- vessel. Um, so that's one way you could make a raft, which is even more dangerous because the raft is not exactly, I guess, seaworthy. And um, the last thing that you could try to do, and I. <laughs> I don't know if they really encourage this in the module, but make one heck of a finish is try to take the slave lord ship, the water dragon. Now I'm not quite sure how you're going to do this. <laughs> if you have nothing but a claw a club and a loincloth on, but you might be able to pick up some stuff on the way. If you go through the city of Sunderham, you might be able to pick up some armor or something like that. If you're lucky. And, uh, yeah, you could try to take the, the ship, the, the, the water dragon. But that is going to be very difficult itself because you have, let's see, uh, whatever slave lords there are, there's the evil high priest Stallman Klim. There's the half-orc fighter assassin Theg Narlot. The drow fighter cleric Idralv. And the illusionist Lamonsten. I love these names. Why can't they be like Bert or George? <laughs> Bert. And the thief, Slippery Ketta. And there's a monk, Brother Karen. Yeah. So you would have to go through these individuals or at least avoid them or somehow incapacitate them to uh, get on the water dragon. I don't know. I if, if it were me, what I would probably try to do is just sneak on board and hide somewhere. <laughs> So, and that really is the adventure in a nutshell. It's not really that big compared to the other ones. Just escape the dungeons, you know, get get to a ship, somehow get a vessel and something, and get off the island before it goes kablooey. Boom. So, and that's pretty much it on uh, the last module, Dungeons of the Slave Lords. There, oh, there was one other new creature. Uh, and there is a a brief encounter with it. Uh, there's a the Magmen, and the, again they were put in Monster Manual too. But there's a counter on the uh, are several areas where you can encounter these Magmen because of the uh, the magma that is coming out of the volcano. <laughs> so there's a little Doctor Evil for you, and uh, so you might be able to encounter these guys as well. So. And that's pretty much it. Uh, you guys have any yeah. comments, questions yeah. Yeah. on the, on the uh, module itself? Yeah. Well, uh, oh well, well, well. Did you talk? You know, the one I liked. I think the encounter that really makes the deciding factor on whether or not you're going on board the boat. It's the one where they encounter the uh, the secret agent. Ah, uh, yes. I'm sorry. I forgot that part. Yeah, I can't forget him because he's extremely important, and that's going to make the final determination. And actually, he will give you the spells and the abilities to get aboard that ship and hopefully find your gear. Because I would, when I ran this, I ran this, this series of adventures multiple, multiple times. And I ensured that the players will run into this guy or they'll encounter him. Right. And he will provide his little bit of assistance. Now, there was a time where the players would refuse to do it, 
or some other, you know, groups, you know, that made the poor decision of using the wrong spells at the wrong time, and then they're SOL. Mm-hmm. But you can cover that more if you like. Yeah. Well, yeah. no, I, I did forget that there was the one fellow who is he, – he's a pirate, I believe. He's not been happy with how the slave lords have been running things, so – Right, and he will go with the party and assist them in fighting right. them because he doesn't like them. Right, right. I did, I did miss that point. Thank you for bringing that yeah. up. Yeah, no, I thought that was very important because, yeah, when it comes down to it, if you assault the boat with the slave lords and all that stuff and everything, it's going to be a TPK. Plain right. and simple. Right. You got to get your gear first. Either get your gear or uh, somehow, like you said, with the one who's kind of a who's working against them because he's not happy how they were running things, or you somehow sneak aboard. Right. Just, you know, sneak aboard, you know, stick yourself in the cargo hold and just wait it out. And, and they're leaving and then you're done. Now, the other option is if the player characters can dress up as mercenaries. Could do that. They, still have to, they, they would still, yeah, and try to get on board that way. That is correct. However, like I said, if you read the thing on the Water Dragon, how that all works out and everything, I mean, you know, a good DM is going to modify this to where the characters have a chance. Otherwise, if you play strictly by what the module says, it's going to be a TPK. Right. You can only assume. Now, Now understand that the slave lords that you see in here are not the slave lords they ran into in A3. No, they're not. These are a different group. This is a different group of slave lords. And uh, what I liked about this whole thing here is only one of these slave lords, I believe, survived. From the previous one, it was the cleric. Right. But now, now just, you know, jump forward to second edition when they did the return to the slavers, which there was another module which introduced them. It was like a revenge type module. Uh, it was um, relatives of the slave lords that were slain by the player, player characters who returned back to try and do it again. Okay. So it's very interesting how they got this all tied in with the slave lords and so on. Yeah, no, it's it. No, it's good to go. Yeah. I I still, though, when it was, I think it was in module A3 and in A4, yeah, where they have this temple of the Earth Dragon. I've yet right. to find out for the life of me who the Earth Dragon God is and how this Earth Dragon God is, you know, granting cleric spells to this cleric who's seventh level. I mean... I've yet to find anything that, that, at least in the lore of the world of Greyhawk, that pertains to what the Earth Dragon is. Oh. I, I've yet to find anything on it. Yeah. I, I, it's it's really not that important, I guess. But, you know, I, I guess. Know. You could actually, if you wanted, take that Earth Dragon and say the Earth Dragon is the cause of the earthquakes. Maybe well, that's what the cleric's saying, that the Earth Dragon yeah. is unhappy, and he's oh, like... Right, but know, actually make it, uh, flesh that out more, and perhaps if there is a way to appease the Earth Dragon, the tremors stop. Right, but, then it, but it was never it. made clear in modules A3 and A4 who the Earth Dragon God is. Right, that would be something you would have to flesh out on your own just to add a little more depth to the module. right. I just I just thought that was kind of peculiar yeah. that they didn't use you know a, a existing deity in World of Greyhawk campaign settings where this is set in to or is it I mean 
I'd have to do some more research on it if I can. Um, but yeah. I couldn't find anything right. who this earth dragon god is. Yeah. Maybe it's the reason they didn't actually use an existing god is because that was a rat hole they didn't want the players to get caught up in. It's just um, something there to add to the story, but not make the players want to actually, oh, well, if the this existing god is upset, if we make this type of offering to him, it'll appease him, the earthquakes go away, or mm-hmm. something like that. I don't know. I, I just I just thought that was kind of odd. Yeah, I just you know it, it says it's the he's the that Stallman Klim is the high priest of the Earth Dragon cult, and he blames the adventures for stirring up the wrath of the sacred scaly one. So it they must be worshiping some dragon god. Well, it's obviously well, it's obviously not Bahamut. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, we can just assume that you know if they're going to be this is a generic adventure, and this is something that is common in the majority of the older first edition AD and D modules. Yeah, there were some things that were pertinent to the world of Greyhawk, but there was also information that was inputted into it that was not pertinent, which is you know generic stuff for you to take this to some other you know level. Mm-hmm. It may be something that just totally does have nothing to do with 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 the module as a whole, and it really doesn't have anything to do with the module as a whole. No, not just really. some, you know, extra information, you know, that the you know some place are like, well, I'd like to check into this thing. What is this creature? And again, the key word is a cult, which in turn might you know say, hey. There might be nothing. This is all made up. The guy is mad. He's a madman. He creates these things. He's assuming that the volcano that is rumbling is actually his god being, you know, you know, angry or something. So it's just one of those kind of things. Yeah, maybe he, there is no god, and he's just like yeah. – he, he actually is a cleric of something else but just convinces everyone. Well, that's where I was kind of thinking. Maybe this earth dragon, maybe it's like a demon or a devil. Right. Right. And according to the deities and demigods, demons and devils, they the you know like you know like Orcus, for example, since we'll, we'll we'll use him as an example, they are considered they have the abilities of lesser gods. Yeah. So maybe he's kind of using it as like a cover, a proxy, if you will. Right. Yeah. I mean that's that's another way. I, right. I don't know. I'm just trying to figure out how that seventh level cleric is getting spells. Yeah, maybe this the earthquake and the volcanic eruption is actually part of the clerics uh, summoning the demon to this realm. Yeah, I mean, who knows? Then when the when the place blows, all of a sudden, boom! You have big bad demon to deal with in your loincloth. Right. (laughs) Now I I will tell you this though. I I just found something on the temple of the Earth Dragon. Oh, you did? Yes, I did. And I'm fixing to read it to you right here. I just found it. Hold on just a second. It's it's downloading right now. It is a deity in in, in the world of Greyhawk. I just got to find it again. Ah, Earth Dragon. The Earth Dragon is a flan spirit of earth, weathered hidden treasure. It is the spirit of Mount Drakenkopf and the Pomarge. Its symbol is a coiled dragon. There you go. The cult of the Earth Dragon is opposed by the Silent Ones. And it's a whole thing there. If you look on the Wikipedia. Oh, really? Look on the Wikipedia called the List of Greyhawk uh, Deities. Huh, I must have missed that one. I And it, was... will come, it will come under Earth Dragon. Okay. 
Only 30% of the Earth Dragon's worshippers are human. The others are members of evil humanoid races such as orcs, gnolls, goblins, hobgoblins, and ogres. And each congregation is served by several shamans and a witch doctor. So there you go. Okay, cool. And it goes into a lot more specifics on it. Okay. I'll have to look that up again. Boy, I, I must have totally missed that then. Jeez. And it says here at the very last sentence, the Earth Dragon was originally mentioned in the Scourge of the Slave Lord series of modules. <laughs> oh, there you go. There's actually a very short interview at Grognardia with Lawrence Schick, the writer of this module. But it doesn't really get into too much detail about this module itself. Just kind of more about him. But I did find uh, Mr. Sh I think it's Schick, right? Yeah. Schick, yes. I did find him, and I did drop him an email to see if he'll come on and talk about the the uh, module itself. Oh, cool. But if anyone's interested in the the short interview, I'll post the uh, information to Matt, and he'll throw it in the show notes. Mm -hmm. It's from 2009. That'd be cool if he could come on the show. That'd be great. Who knows? Maybe he'll say yes. Who knows? So how did this stack up against all these modules stack up against the super module? Well, that's a good, good question. Um, I guess the question someone's going to ask, should I get the super module or the individual modules? Well, you know, let's let's kind of uh, take a look at what are the differences. Okay. Um, I, I've got both copies here, like right in front of me. And uh, the big difference is on Scourge of the Slave Lords, it ties it in to the whole super module series that came out in 1985 with Temple of Elemental Evil and Queen of the Spiders. This was supposed to be the middle module of that whole series if you're going to do that you know, super ultimate colossal campaign. So essentially, if you're running this, you got through Temple of Elemental Evil and you are uh, resting up in Hamlet and uh, you get a message from this person by the name of Dame Gold. And by the way, Dame is, this mean this woman was knighted. So most people don't know that. That's, you don't call the sir, you call them Dame. But she was knighted. Yeah. And Dame. so... Anyway, she gets tries to send word to the adventuring party in Hamlet, if you're tying this into that, that uh, Dame Gold of Safeton uh, is requesting uh, their, basically requesting their assistance in a matter that she has um, during the Feast of Eldoria at Windy Crag in the town of Safeton. So, and there are a couple of ways that the party can get to Safeton. They can um, basically meet up with this halfling who's, you know, who's a merchant who might be going there. There's a couple of adventures on the road to, to Safeton that uh, that the party uh, might run into. Is well, they will run into, I should say. Uh, <laughs> I thought it was funny. There was the uh, there's the uh, section where. There's some con men that you run into, and they try to pull the wool over the the party's eyes. That I guess the con men are trying to get away from. Uh, uh, they they they're getting actually getting away from like a group of gnomes, mm -hmm. like anywhere from like 100 to 300 gnomes, 
and uh, that makes a very interesting encounter if if the adventuring party does believe the conmen and what they say. Uh, there's also a, a pretty detailed encounter about some raiders because what's going on is you're basically heading from Hamlet, heading through the gnarly forest towards the wild coast. And then you eventually get to Safeton. Um, you go to the have the feast. It's over several days. It's a big week-long event for this Feast of Eldoria. There's several. There's lots of NPCs for the uh, for the player characters to uh, to uh, uh, interact with. And there's some hints inside the module what you can do as a DM how you can get uh, the uh, player characters involved with either the servants or the uh, the guests that are at the party. Um, so, and this will happen over several days. And I think that, again, another great uh, role-playing uh, moment for the characters and as the DM. It's a nice way to kind of a take a break, get these people um, to test their role-playing skills. So, Eventually, what happens over the several days is uh, Dame Gold will um, let the party know that her, if I remember correctly, her brother was kidnapped. And her brother, she found out he is alive, but he is very ill and has some sort of illness that is related to lycanthropy. And... From what she knows, she, uh, it, uh, she has an antidote that can be given to him, but it has to be within 40 days or the antidote is worthless and he will become this strange creature. And it was, not very, it was very elusive of how that basically it's, it's a red herring, folks. <laughs> this part is actual red herring. Where it really gets into things is when the party actually leaves Safeton and leaves Dame Gold's uh, uh, house, her, I guess, castle, if you will. They're down the road, and uh, a messenger, one of her servants, whoever, is on horseback, you know, riding as hard, as fast as he can, um, gets to the party and saying dame silver she or dame gold dame silver that's what she's called in the smackdown the slayers dame silver <laughs> sorry but dame gold is she was the, the house was burned taken down people were taken um so this is where the party has to make a decision are they going to continue on with the mission as is or are they going to go back to investigate but they continue on with the mission. I thought this was interesting. There's actually a bit of an alignment issue because you have of the two choices. So you can either continue with the mission. So good, and while I'll say good player characters sleep uneasily from this point on, lawful good characters are troubled by dreams accusing them of evil. They suffer a minus one penalty in all saving throws and to hit rolls. This could be removed by doing penance prescribed by the character's religion. Lawful good clerics are denied spells above second level until a quest is undertaken. Paladins are unable to exercise any of their special abilities until a quest is undertaken. 
characters cannot abuse their alignments lightly, it says with an explanation point. <laughs> so basically, don't just continue with the mission. Go back and investigate. So you go to the manor. You investigate. You find there's basically this is all the way of the player characters to get them to high port. And it's a very detailed uh, way of getting basically at the beginning of module a one. So, so they get to the manor, they find some clues. Um, There's a possibility of running to a spy in Safeton. Who's a spy for the slave Lords might be able to get information from him. There's also uh, two ways you can get this uh, to a uh, high port. You're either going to take the road um, uh, uh, to, well, actually to Elred. There's a town called Elred you have to get to. So basically it's this whole long way of trying to get the high port. And there's various ways that you can do it. But ultimately what happens is, and I love this <laughs> in this in the super module, this is great. You know in how in the first series of adventures, the player characters are meant to be captured at least once? Well, this one they're captured twice. They're captured at the beginning. Nice. Uh, and this could happen uh, if they go by a land route. And it does say this. If you're if you're trying to get the L red, yeah, you're supposed to get captured. <laughs> it says it right here. At some point on the journey between L red and high port, the player characters run afoul of the slave Lords and are captured. This is an essential part of the adventure. And as referee, you should make every effort to ensure the player characters do not escape the traps of the slave Lords. You want them captured, whether they want it or not. <laughs> it says it there, black and white, folks. So if you like sandbox adventures, if you like people saying, well, I have a way of getting out of this or something like No, not this time. I remember when I ran SmackDown, because this, this was in the same thing. Uh, there was a couple of people who were very, very angry <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that I didn't give them a way out. It, it, got, it got into a bit of a heated discussion. So that's really the, so they get captured. They're taken apart on this ship called the ghoul. They're, they're slaves on the ship. So all their possessions have been taken, but there's someone on board that's going to help them out. Cause when they get to, uh, when they get the high port, there's going to be a point where if the characters are careful enough, they can escape from the ghoul get most of the gear, but nothing that's magical, but they could get most of their gear and they get in the high port. And that's where it kind of takes off from there from where module original module a one is. So there's a, a pretty, um, uh, how should I say a, uh, detailed first, I would say first 24 pages of the, uh, Super module is dedicated to trying to get the player characters down through the wild coast and then getting captured. Captured number one. <laughs> so, and but the rest of it is not much different. There are some other differences between 
as far as like segues between certain areas, but that's the real main difference is the very beginning of trying to get the characters into the adventure versus the first one, which was like, okay, you're in Highport, you were because you were hired by blah blah blah, and this is where the slavers are coming. This one takes a little bit more into account in that respect. Um, as far as a campaign standpoint, I, I think it really depends on what kind of DM that you are. If you like a little more detailed, if you're a lazy DM like me, yeah, Scourge of the Slave Lords is good. I, as far as I can tell, as far as like the differences in like monsters or encounters and stuff like that, no different. Everything's the same. Same level. The Slave Lords are the same levels, just like in the original series. So... I mean, in my opinion, if you want if you want a little more detailed uh, information as far as background, I think Scourge of the Slave Lords is a way to go if you're running it in Greyhawk. Now, if you're not, I think um, the, the individual modules might be a better fit because then as a DM, you can add your stuff to your own game world. But I mean... I, but like any good DM, you're going to modify things to your own taste, to how your own campaign is for either one. I guess what, what it comes down to is which ones are more readily available. So, if you're looking, if you're looking for price-wise, Amazon, you know, best place to go for these things. But it seems like looking at the prices, I would get the super module, which is twenty-five bucks, as opposed to uh, all four of them coming close to a hundred dollars. Right. Yeah. Right. And then if you wait a little bit uh, over next summer, A1 through A4 will be reprinted. That's right. They are. So, is that is that this coming summer? Yeah. yeah. I'll be done. Well, gone. Uh, are the, the, is it going to be hardback too? I believe so. It's wow. like I think 35. So they are I, – I, I forgot about that they're doing, they're doing the Slave Lords series again and – isn't there like a new introductory adventure too? Oh yeah, no, that was the S series that had it, I think. Oh okay, I know they're reprinting those. Yes, the S series had a zero on it for some reason. Okay, but um, I don't know. The, as far as you know, any other like mechanical differences between the two? If you're talking like stats or anything like that, far as I can tell, I've looked through them. I, I compared the stats from the first one to the Scourge of Slave Wars Super Module. No different. No different. I didn't notice the difference, though. The pre-generated characters are different levels. The, 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 the pre-gens are different levels. They're higher. And also, you know, the turtle at the, in A4? The snapping turtle or whatever it is? Yeah. It's a turgle. A turgle? Yeah, it's turgle in the, I think it was a typo in the... Yeah, uh, that's a typo. But I, I checked the slave lords uh, as far as their levels and stuff like that. They're the same. Yeah, they're the same. But the pre-generated characters are all – they're like like two, three levels higher. Yeah. Depending on which one it is. Yeah, they are. They're all like seventh or eighth level. Cool. Yeah. But um, – yeah, I guess if you're looking for price-wise, I guess I would go with the uh, the super module. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you can find that, yeah you can find the uh, 
if you want to pre-order the uh, reprint, it, it'll be on released on June eighteenth for thirty two ninety seven on Amazon right now. Huh. Yep, and that actually does come with a new adventure, A Zero Danger at the Dark Shelf Quarry. Hmm. Hmm. Well, that'd be worth picking up then, just to see what the. I wonder who wrote the new adventure. I don't know. Let's see. Yeah. I, as far as adventures, I won't be getting those. I won't be getting the reprints of the adventures. Well, I might grab that one just for the new uh, adventure coming out of it. Just to see what it is. Yep. Yeah, and it will be hardcover. I'll be doggone. Now, the S series reprints you can get for twenty six thirty seven. However, there's no additional module or anything in that. Yeah, I didn't think there was. It's probably the reprint that they did a compilation of those uh, realms of horror. Yeah. Oh, that is that is, that, is, that would be a horrible mistake. No, the way it's the way they have it marked is S one, S two, S three, S four. So it's not realms of horror. Good because that would be a terrible mistake because yeah. they really uh they really messed that whole series. Yeah, up. I remember when I read about realms of horror, they really butchered it. Yeah, they're calling this compilation Dungeons of Dread. So this may just be the the original modules <laughs> compiled just put in a bigger book format, hardcover. I remember so. when I read about Realms of Horror, they tried to do this really loose, um, I guess, uh, way of linking all four of them, and it just does not work. <laughs> Description of the Realm of Horrors is edited for ease of use in a gung-ho, let's-do-it-all-at-once campaign. Yeah. Yeah. And the Dungeons of Dread, uh, the way it's described on Amazon, is a hardcover collection of four classic standalone Advanced Dungeons & Dragon adventure modules. Okay, good. So they're doing it right. Good. Yeah, cause that's, that's impressive. I was like, I was trying to figure out, how do you, like, link Tomb of Horrors with Expedition to the Berry Peaks and White Plume Mountain? How do you survive two more bars to go on to White Blue Mountain? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I mean, but the one that's the weird one is Expedition to the Barrier Peaks. Yeah. Where you got robots and lasers. <laughs> no, I think the best part in there is the uh, the mind flayer using the uh, weapons. Yeah. In the suit with the intellect devourer stalking y'all as y'all explore the space. I love that picture out of that module, too, by the way. That's so great. Oh, yeah the better ones yep anyway i think that pretty much covers uh the slave lord series uh yeah. are you guys got any, uh, anything i add your two copper pieces to the discussion because i just i mean i gave my opinion you know what about you will or vince or matt we'll let will talk because he's been quiet for a while okay I don't know what y'all want me to talk about. Do you want to talk about the tournament score? <laughs> no, nah, we've had already. Did we cover the tournament score? Yeah, of course. This is well, same this one was different. Well, okay, yeah, go ahead, go over it. Yeah, with, with A4, uh, now remember in A2 and A3, their systematic scoring was pretty much the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it came to A4, though, on the hand, the tournament scoring was a little bit different. And this is one thing that I, I heard... Uh, Nick bring up was, you know, if the if the players want to rest, if the characters want to rest, you're trying to push them along. Because, according to the tournament scoring sheet, 
Each creature who gets out alive is plus 30 points for a maximum of 270. So when I see this right here, this tournament was made for nine people per group. Okay. Yeah. Because there are nine NPCs, or I'm sorry, uh, pre-generated characters. So the maximum is 270 points. So each group was nine people. So I see this as being one of the most difficult tournament modules yet written. Then the other one was each minute spent getting out, minus one, to a maximum of minus 240 points. Oh, jeez. Yeah. So with that take, with, you know, with that taken into consideration, if you leave there with the max time and you took your time getting out, you have four hours to escape. Yeah, four hours to escape this place. Right. Mm-hmm. So a minus 240, well, that leaves you with a plus 30. So that doesn't do you too good. Yeah. And then each encounter area where risk is taken or benefit gained was plus five points for a maximum of 100 points. So it was kind of interesting how they did the scoring for right. that. Now, one thing that, uh, you know, we was talking about the scourge of the slave lords. And I found this pretty interesting here in the very beginning. Yes. Was on page three when David Cook is talking about um, the the list on, on what happened during the tournament. Mm-hmm. You thought that uh, that was pretty cool too. Yeah, with the traps, uh, two mm-hmm. traps, one a trick to fool the players, one problem the players had to solve, one encounter with the basic monster, one ambush, one encounter with the basic monster and a friend, one encounter with an unintelligent monster, <clears throat> excuse me, one encounter with a brand new monster and, and the grand finale. And so that's how they designed their tournament rounds for the original series. So you would not have known this until you read Scourge of the Slave Lords when David Cook explains how they came up with the point system, what they want mm-hmm. to put inside the scoring rounds and everything. So in all honesty, I find the whole scoring system totally lackluster, uh, I, I'm not a fan of it. I didn't like it at all. I think they could have used something a little bit more consistent, uh, especially with two and three, because with two and three, there was it's more of a personal opinion because then you're giving plus one to plus three points to certain people or to the entire group as a whole or whatever the case may be. So I, I have some issues with that right there. I don't like the personal opinion thing. Yeah, that's kind of how NASCRAG runs their tournaments at Gen Con because they yeah. still do the tournaments. See, my thing on personal opinion is that should be a tiebreaker. Yes. That should be a tiebreaker issue. That shouldn't be part of the scoring because now understand where I'm coming from this as a person who has ran tournaments and played in tournaments. That is, you want to be the DM with the winning group. So if, if you see that the scores are cutting close, I, I have seen it where, you know, some DMs have you know, actually inflated the score a little bit just so that they can be the DM of the group that gets first place or whatever the case may be. It's yeah. just one of those things. It's a prestige thing. It is a prestige thing. Honestly, it is. The, 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 the whole thing, the caveat to that, though, is, is that the players, now I don't know if they did it this one here, but that the players then score the DM who was running the tournament module through that series. And so if, 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 if the DM is saying they did great, but the player said the DM stunk, then, you know, we got some issues there. There's something wrong. <laughs> right. No, I'm serious. It, it's oh, I, I've seen. Oh, my God. I've seen where we had a great adventure, but I knew this guy who was trying to DM it. Oh, it was just painful, painful to watch this table. 
Yeah, so no, and overall, I mean, you know, a great series of modules and everything. I mean, I, it, it, I don't know if this is, you know, their first time ever doing it in this format. I really didn't care for it and everything. Reading David Cook's, you know, little small uh, introduction there when he explained what they was doing when they designed it. I saw some sense in it. But then I just, it was the inconsistency that I had a problem with. There was no consistency. Now, my question on this whole thing was, was players being told the faster you get out, the more points you'll have, or the more time you stay in, the more points you'll be penalized. So that was my question. Did they inform the players, or was this something that they didn't tell the players, just let them go their own pace? As, as a tournament module player and, and you know creator, I wouldn't tell them anything. Yeah. Right. I wouldn't either. I wouldn't either. I would either. I would suspect they didn't because you – the earthquakes, I think, were supposed to be their encouragement to get out as quickly as possible. Right. Yeah. There you go. Yes. So, and then, like I said, and, and you know, you covered it really well there, Nick, that the moment they, they, they get out of that dungeon or the, the place where they're, you know, naked or half-dressed, mm-hmm. they are then, you know, that's when the scoring actually stops. And from there on, it's just extra material. Sweet. Yeah. So that's all I pretty much have good. I mean, it's excellent series of modules. If I was to run this series of modules, I would do it with the standalone modules. I will not run the uh, the compilation or the uh, the super module. I prefer to run them individually. Yeah. Is it just just uh, personal taste on that? Does, uh... No, actually, what I think is I, the the super module was done well. Uh, they added a lot of, you know, great material, filler material. What do you call it? Fluff, as what most some people call it. Yeah. I think that for us, uh, we're playing first edition in AD&D, and for just ease of thought, ease of play, and ease of flow, go with one module at a time instead of having a whole super module the entire time carrying around, looking through it back and forth. When it just say, hey, we're in A1. Let's just do A1 and just concern yourself with A1. Don't worry about two, three, and four. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it could be something to look forward to, yeah. Well, like I said, it all depends on what people want to do. I mean, the Super Module is nice. It has a compilation of all four of them in there. Me, I'd like to have one module at a time and just work from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I usually prefer to make my own transitions between the modules. So, in the, like in the case of the, the Giant series, I actually have the Super Module. I don't have the individuals. But if I were to run it... I would throw out those in-between transitions and just run the modules straight. The ones I have, I got – yeah, I didn't get the compilation of Queen of the Spiders where I put the Giants and the Drow series all together. But I do have – of the Giants series, I have – when they put all three together, G1, 2, 3, with the green – the kind of dark green cover. Yep, that's what I have. That's the one I have, and that one is actually – Ex- almost exactly the same as the separate modules. And I had those too. I got those when uh, TSR at, at the put out their silver anniversary box set. Mm-hmm. If you, anybody remember seeing I, those. I remember seeing it at Half Price Books one time and kicking myself for passing on it when I saw the $50 price tag. Yeah, I, I picked one up for, I think, for like 45 bucks years ago. And yeah, I'm glad I got it. But uh, as far as the differences, there's really not that much different between those. You're talking about the uh, the monochrome modules and the yeah, the monochrome G1, two, and three. Yeah, that 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 was just a novelty item. It was pretty interesting. 
Yeah, but the the big difference is when they went into um, the Queen of the Spiders. That's where there was some there was some differences in as far as layout, and I'm, I'm not sure as far as the story though. But, Sounds good to me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's going to wrap things up. But before we get going, uh, I was talking to uh, Will before the uh, show today, and I was discussing how some of my modules have are hole punched. And I compared it to the other guys, and they's, theirs aren't. And Will was telling me there's a little history behind why it's hole punched. Oh, well, actually, I said there has to be some story behind it because oh, okay. I'm constantly buying modules, and the, the, the mint condition modules that I do have are hole punched. I don't know why that is, though. Neither, neither did I. I thought you had some. some. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I do have some that are not hole punched, and I have some that are hole punched. I have no idea what the history is on, on that. I'm, I've been wondering that myself. But it's funny that you just happened to bring it up. It was something that I never really, really researched, but it is something I'm looking up now. It can't be a TSR thing because the words are chopped off on the hole punch areas on mine. Yeah, like, because I have the same issue with these here. So I don't know what the deal is with these. I really don't know because I never hole punched uh, any of my modules. You know what I think it is? It has to do with maybe during the time when this came out, people were still playing basic and they still had the Mulvey Cook books. Right. Yeah. How, you know, you were supposed to split those put apart. Put them in a three ring binder and all that. So I think people took this and put these into binders as well. That might be it because I'm looking on one website and – uh, as far as I can see is when the printings are concerned, mm-hmm. there's nothing mentioning about being a punch, hole punch for a three ring binder. Ah, but I got some stuff here for you now. Uh-oh. Oh, I'm looking at it right now that some of the first printings were hole punched. Oh, really? Oh. B4 was issued with a three hole punched module and an outer cover with no hole punches. So it's very interesting. I'm reading this also. They said the X series that some of these were published three hole punch. I have that. Yeah, I have an X. Keep on yeah. the Borderlands was three hole punched. Some yes, were, some were not. Some were not. But the one, like when you're talking about Isle of Dread, my module X1 has three hole punch for three ring binder. Yeah, so does mine. Mine does too. I have a hole punch and a non hole punch. So there you go, Vince, my friend. It seems that some of these were published with punch holes in it. Huh. Interesting why they did that. And they, did, well, they, they did a really big jab, bad job of hole punching this one then. Uh, the ones that I have are done exactly professionally well done. That doesn't cut any words out? No, it doesn't. Um, I'm looking at them right now. As a matter of fact, what's, what's funny about this is because I'm tearing these up. I'm removing them page by page by page because this is the these four right here are being converted into pathfinder and i'm, I'm doing each page at a time so the first page will be first edition ad and d the next page will be the pathfinder version you're going to put them back to back so you can compare yes, yes just do a comparison and if people ever want a uh you know a copy of the pathfinder version then i can give them a copy because i'm doing that as we speak here when i'm on my off time well, very good. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, it seems like that most of the basic modules were hole punched when they were uh, printed. I think someone hole punched this because a couple on a couple pages there's a word or two like nipped. Yeah, so uh, I I I I uh, yeah, I'd have to agree with you. I just didn't know that some of the slave lords ones were, I guess, depending on the printer and the print run. 
Yeah, that's kind of weird and everything because I didn't anticipate that until you brought that up. So, but I did just check it online here. I did a Google search on whole punch modules, first edition AD and D, and like the first seven, eight of them discussed some of the modules that were. And it says some, not all, were published with uh, punch holes in them. Uh, the Tomb of Horrors one I have, no hole punches. Um, the C, uh, the, was it the uh, C modules? I guess they were tournament modules. Oh, Hidden Shrine, the Tomochan, yeah. and those yeah. aren't punched. Uh, <laughs> the Village of Hamlet, that's not hole punched. So I was thought it was odd that this one was hole punched, and the other one was. Yeah, terrible. it's funny because mine are as well. Oh, this particular set I do here is whole punch. I know that two other sets that I own do not. Oh, but my Temple of Elemental Evil, that is hole punched. So someone must have done that. So Village of Hamlet? Village of Hamlet is not hole punched. But the actual, you know. The super module? The super module is hole punched. So someone someone did that. Yeah, I've seen that before. A hole punch super module. And uh, I5 is hole punched here. I'm looking at it. I think someone did that. Yeah, this one looks like someone actually did it because that cool. was later on. I, if I remember correctly, most if you're talking about modules that are that have been hole punched for a three ring binder, it was all the stuff that was prior to when they did the new format in 1983. Um, X5 I have also on my shelf here, not hole punched. Right. So it, I guess it just depends on who did it and when it was printed. Yep. Sounds like it. So that's going to wrap up the A-series. We had a lot of fun reviewing it, and I think everyone's going to enjoy our comments and critiques on it. And uh, Maybe they'll comment back to us and ask us questions and leave us a voicemail about it. But we are going to continue rummaging through the modules because it's kind of fun just to yeah. you know yeah. read them and discuss them on the air. And people love the reviews on the modules, so... Should we give him a hint what we're going to do next or nah? It's evil. Yes. Evil. It's filled with evil. <laughs> That's what we'll leave it at that end. Uh, keep it original. Keep it original. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night, everyone. Bye. Roll for initiative.